Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Slack. Millions of people in hundreds of thousands of companies rely on Slack to get their work done. For them, Slack is where all the people and tools they need to work are gathered, where ideas form, evolve, and reach fruition, where plans are proposed, documents exchanged, expenses approved, travel booked, and deals signed off, where decisions are made and consensus is reached. Where the humdrum becomes the easily done. Slack, where work happens. Visit slack.com forward slash silicon slopes and sign up now to get $100 in credits toward a future upgrade. And now, let's podcast. We got to be deliberate. We got to be slow. Education is not a transaction. It's not something you just pay and get something back. Welcome to the Silicon Slopes Podcast. My name is Clint Betts. On today's show, I talk to Dev Mountain founder, Kalen Sharp. I love this guy, and I think he's an incredible entrepreneur and leader. He launched Dev Mountain around the same time I launched BI Startups, and honestly, he's been far more successful than I have been, which isn't really saying much, but still. It was really fun to catch up with him. Here's me and Kalen. Kalen Sharp. Clint Betts. So it's fun to have you in the studio because you started Dev Mountain at about the same time that I started Beehive Startups. In fact, I I want to say I don't know if this is true, but we should say it for the sake of uh, you know just just making uh, the past a lot more glamorous than it was. I want to say Dev Mountain was the first story we ever wrote. I think on I think it Startups. was. I remember you coming over to the startup building. With your glasses, yes. and and I was like, "Who's this guy? This is cool." And <laughs> you sat down in one of our, I think, our only classroom at the time, and we just talked about what Dev Mountain was up to. And I've always thought it was, yeah, it was within months or even weeks of of each other yeah. starting. I've thought of us as like sister <laughs> related companies in that way, like we just were in the same batch of time. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember doing like this. I used to think you had to write like really long pieces. Like early days of Beehive startups, I wrote, and I probably still would do this because that's I don't I don't do as much writing as I would like to anymore. Sure. Chris and Meg do the majority of the writing here, but I used to write like really long <laughs> pieces, and I remember like your Dev Mountain piece was like pretty deep, great manifesto, <laughs> yeah, like your life. I basically like wrote like some like thing like. We might have been blessed with the most words from Clint about any company in the history. Of- <laughs> I think you were. I just remember like I, that thing was super long. It went into like this this, uh, and I actually read it this morning in preparation, and it was super funny. I'm talking about like, hey, Kalen wanted to be like a dentist, That's and, right. and like. <laughs> I probably spent like five paragraphs on like <laughs> just like something stupid that like you probably said in like passing. Like, yeah, yeah when I was going to college. I was thinking about being a dentist. I like delve into that and like the world of dentistry and like his profile. <laughs> of all, this is why being a dentist is not as cool as an entrepreneur. Like weird stuff. <laughs> it was great. I loved it. <laughs> I just tried for like as many jokes as possible. And then eventually <laughs> we'd get to like the thing. So I would get lost in like dentist jokes for five paragraphs. Anyway, that journey, it, it, it's been fascinating to watch, and it was fascinating as, as I was building Beehive and now, you know, what we're doing here at Silicon Slubs, it was fascinating to watch Dev Mountain kind of run in conjunction and just be like far more successful than Beehive Startups. Well, <laughs> maybe in some regards, I don't know. And then, uh, so I want to walk through that. So 
why did you, and you were working at Scan prior to uh, coming to Dead Mountain, and Scan was still sold to Snapchat, and that's a funny story as well. Yeah. I knew that Garrett had sold uh, Scan to Snapchat, but he couldn't tell anybody. Yeah. And BH Times had that story for like six months. Oh my gosh. Uh, and Garrett actually denied that to me a couple times, like in person. <laughs> like, I know you have, but I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and if you need to keep it quiet, what do I care? Right. Uh, and, and, but then it like broke on like the Sony hack or whatever, yeah. but he sold that as like $54 million or something like that. Yeah. And so, so you're working at scan, which turned out to be a great success. You leave scan for dev mountain. What, what, what was your thinking back then? I was just going through this the other day with somebody because I was talking to another entrepreneur who's kind of considering taking the leap, right? And then they asked me a similar question. When do you know that it's right? And I said, you never really know that it's right. There are very few circumstances where it's like the clouds part and a voice tells you that now is the time, today is the day. In fact, I think at the time things were a little bit crazy. So we had just moved back to Utah with Scan after a failed venture. So that thing I told you about earlier, financially, we were not in great shape. We had sold everything to move to San Francisco. We were in debt. And so Scan was kind of this great boon for us. Where I was like, okay, now my wife is like, yes, insurance, salary, right? It was like, okay, now we got some stability. Things are going to be great. We bought a house. Right. We were ready to ride off into the sunset. And then at the same time, I joined Scan. And I, as I was talking with the Scan guys, I was kind of like, yeah, I want to do some other things on the side. I want to teach some coding classes. And they were super supportive of the idea. And just not even intentionally, but the Dev Mountain classes and the classes I was teaching just started to take on this life of its own. And it became this huge, it wasn't a hobby. It was like this thing that was encroaching in every part of my life. It was what I was thinking about in the shower. It was what was taking my time, phone calls. I mean, everything. And I'm pretty sure I was a pretty terrible scan employee by the end of it because I was just being consumed by everything that was going on. And so it was like, it was kind of this moment of realization where I was either needing to say goodbye or significantly reduce what I was doing at Dev Mountain and retrench and be a really good scan employee. Or I needed to say, okay, this has some legs and I need to jump onto it. It was the hardest sell I ever had to do with my wife because I had to come home and say, okay, I know we just bought the house and I know we just got out of debt, but we're going to take a 50% pay cut. And we're going to live off of savings for a couple months and we're going to get this thing going. And I think she had kind of entrepreneur whiplash at the time and was like, yeah. I don't know. You've said that so many times. Are you sure this is <laughs> this is worth it? And it took a while. But I think for her, what finally sold it was just the fact that I was so convinced and I was so passionate about this. And and that's what, what in my parting conversations with the scan guys, which were also really good friends, it ended very well. I was kind of like, I feel like my heart has been stolen. I feel like I was kind of sitting here just happy. Everything was fine. And then this thing came along that I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't not do this. That for me, I knew it was time was the combination of the fact that the demand seemed to be growing faster than we anticipated. Right. It was clearly not going to do any better unless I gave it more of my time, which I didn't have. And number three, it was what I was spending every waking hour thinking about and dreaming about. So for me, it just all lined up and we jumped into it. And this was early days of coding schools, right? There wasn't a lot in the country. There was probably a few that people had ever heard of and a handful that had actually started and had any press at all. 
there were probably a bunch of others getting ready to start yeah. and starting. But yeah, it was like very early days. In fact, at first, I didn't really think of us as a coding school because we were part time. We were after hours right. weekends. And that was initially kind of our shtick was we were, hey, don't need to go full time, go part time. Of course, after about a year, we realized that we could do so much more good by taking somebody full time and really um, ensuring their success. But uh, yeah, we we didn't think of ourselves as a traditional. It wasn't even traditional, but we didn't think of ourselves as a coding school at the time. It was yeah. more of kind of a side, you know, part time boot camp thing. And and to start, it was just you. Yeah. Like I remember, like when we were in like that that room in the startup building there in Provo, right by the track station. Uh, it was just me and you in there. Yeah. Right. And so at what point do you start – I mean, how long was it just you? It was at least the first co- cohort, it, it? was it? close – well, it, it, it didn't take long. So initially, there's some good lessons in here, I'm sure, for somebody. But initially, um, since I thought of it as this hobby side project, I really didn't put much thought into company structure, formation. I just sort of partnered up and with the folks at the startup building. I was like, hey, let's do this. You know, uh, we'll kind of split it and, you know, we'll just kind of <laughs> right. figure it out on the run type of thing. And, and not that anything went poorly that way. Again, all good relationships and everything there. But it quickly became clear that they were not equipped to sort of help me run this thing. And I was like, this is way bigger than I thought it was going to be. That's how Colt and Tyler got involved was right. the folks at the startup building were like, look, we, there's no way we can help you the way you need to. Let's let's bring up some guys from Boom Startup. And that's where Colt and Tyler came out, which was a huge blessing because they were hungry. They were super interested in it. They actually were in the first cohort, like right. learning. They wanted to learn it. They wanted to understand how it worked. And everything worked out really well. We all kind of found our roles, and it was sort of a betrothed marriage, but yeah. it just happened to work out really well for us. And Colt and Tyler, that's Colt Henry and Tyler Richards. Yes. And so uh, you get – what's that first year like? And at what point do you realize not only is this thing my full-time thing and all I'm ever thinking about, but what at what point do you realize just kind of the the insane amount of opportunity that existed – in, you know what I mean? There's always that like point where you're like, yeah, this is going okay. Like I remember that with Beehive Startups. I'm like, yeah, this is people like this. This is this is cool. I don't know what it is. Yeah. And I don't know if it's like a full time thing. I don't know if yeah. it's a part time thing. I don't know what this thing is. Yeah. But, it's, but I love it. It's super fun. It's all I'm ever thinking about. I'm gonna keep pushing on and just see what happens. And then I distinctly remember like when it clicked. I'm like, oh yeah, this is a thing. And this is the thing it could be. Yeah. Right. Uh, what was that uh, inflection point for you? I think initially there was a small transition point from hobby to more than that. I just enjoyed teaching. And so teaching part-time classes was just kind of something that sounded fun and rewarding. And there was a moment where a student came up to me at the end of the first cohort and was like, I got a new job because of what you did. This is amazing. It was just like thanking me. And I was, I had never anticipated, I'd, I had never taught a class or a seminar or a conference workshop or anything where somebody came up to the end of, at the end and said, Hey, this changed my life. And so that was kind of the moment of realization where he even said to me, he's like, I hope you take these all over the country or something like that. And I was like, I never even in my <laughs> wildest, I never thought of it that way. And so that was sort of this moment where I, I thought, Oh, okay. So if, if it did this for this one person and, Make no mistake, those first couple of cohorts were super rough because right. I didn't know what to teach. I didn't know how fast to teach it. I didn't know what languages. I mean, it was all sort of very much guinea pigish, and and those first students were very patient. And and so the fact that anybody had a great outcome is remarkable. Right. But I thought, man, if this guy can have his life changed from what we've done, like there's something to that. Now, I think quickly after that, the question became, okay, so is this even a business though? Sure, you can do this with one person, but 
can you take this to lots of people? How scalable is it? It clearly wasn't a software startup. It wasn't a SaaS business. It wasn't a tech, you know, dump a bunch of VC and money into it and just magically grows. So it was going to be slow growth. It was going to be how do we find the right people? It was going to be a people business, not a software business. We had to find the right folks to teach the classes, to interface with the students. And that's a slow grind sometimes. So I think that may be a good inflection point, but the rest of the time was sort of a slow realization of taking little bites and little chunks at a time. We would, every new thing we did felt like another leap of faith, right? Yeah. We had part-time classes and then it was like, okay, let's do a full-time class. And that just seemed, I'm sure myself and other people in the company were like, can we even do this? Yeah. And then it went from there to, well, maybe we can do two at a time. How are we going to do that? What does that mean? And, you know, how are we going to offer housing? All those questions were like, how are we going to do this? I remember even when we first decided to go to Dallas, our finance, it was actually Colt Henry's wife, Cassidy, who's an amazing, she's a great entrepreneur in her own right. We were talking one day and she kind of handled our finances. And I told her, I said, we're going to go to Dallas. We're going to do this. And she's like, no, we are not. You are crazy. There's no way we can do this. She was like the voice of reason that you right. know, helped uh, temper down my, my enthusiasm. But we asked ourselves those questions all the time. And then it just seemed like even though we made plenty of mistakes and learned things along the way, every time we tried to tackle something new, we were able to get value out of it. And so right. it was this slow realization of, okay, this is something valuable. It is something that we can grow, albeit slowly. I think that over the next year, it was clear that, okay, there's long-term value that can be derived from this. Why didn't you take venture funding? You said like it was clear to you that it wasn't, and, and I actually think that is is a huge advantage that actually became true for Dev Mountain. But that I mean, there are coding schools who have taken venture capital, right? Yeah. What made you decide, hey, I'm not going to go that route? And this is not to be arrogant in any way. I think number one, we just didn't need to. We were fortunate enough to have a business model where all of your capital is given to you on day one. If we were a software business, there's no way we would have survived because right. you're depending on recurring revenue for years. For us, students all paid tuition day one. And so we had working capital for the next 12 weeks. So it really just became a game of how can we kind of grow slowly and use that extra capital to roll it into the next round of growth. I think if we had to go for money, it would have been maybe a sign that things weren't going well or that we were going to expand way too ambitiously. One of the things I realized, as I mentioned a second ago, it was so much about the people and scaling quickly. It's really easy to just find bodies to fill seats, to hire like crazy, and you can lose culture. You can lose the experience so quickly in that. And, and I don't know if I ever sat down and said, I'm not going to take venture capital because I don't want to sacrifice that. But I think that was sort of something we all understood that if, hey, if we go too fast, we can mess this up. Right. And there were small times in our history where we tried to do things quickly and realized, oh, okay, we got to be deliberate. We got to be slow. Education is not a transaction. It's not something you just pay and get something back. I think that's number one is we just didn't need to. We had the capital. And then going right along with that, just this idea of how do you grow? And what would we do with all that money? I don't even know if we could have answered that question. And so really the first time we ever thought about that was right before we got acquired because we came to this realization that, okay, if we're going to reach our next stage, our next level of accomplishment, we're either going to need to partner up with somebody or take on funding. The acquisition conversation came around right about then just serendipitously. But yeah, it just never really came up. Something that I think Dev Mountain did really well. There are two things that, aside from like, I, I mean, I, I was never a student, right? But I, I, I'm confident you were giving a You're quality. still welcome, by the way. Yeah, I, I wouldn't make it. I wouldn't make it in. <laughs> Uh, I, I want to make it past the first week. Uh, but, uh, but aside from like, you know, the experience you were giving your students and kind of the quality of education, which everyone I talked to who did go through it, 
you know, just kind of raved about it. Something like as an outsider I always admired was Demo was really good at branding, like really good at branding. And, and you were really good at culture, meaning like uh, you again, you had like the culture for your students, but you were great at like the culture that you created around the community in terms of like you you would speak about DevMount and almost like it was, you know, uh, this and it was like this big service to the community. Right. It was like this thing that was helping solve a very real problem that still exists today. Right. In terms of getting, you know, the talent shortage and talent gap and stuff like that. I just think you did an interesting job on those two areas. So let, let's start on the branding one. I mean, how intentional was branding and the name and uh, kind of the way, I mean, you, you were, every iteration of like, you know, the website and the feel and the way you talked about yourself, it just got better and better. Yeah, I, I can say some of it was intentional. Uh, we were just talking a second ago. The, the domain name was available. So right. like Dev Mountain seemed to check a couple boxes and, hey, guess what? DevMountain.in, which is kind of a funny story in and of itself. It's an India domain name. And oh, so like yeah. .in. I forgot you were at .in yeah. to start. For for the first, I think, couple years we were .in. That was part we, of the logo, wasn't it? Like yeah. The dot, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. that we awesome. call that the ice cream truck logo, <laughs> the original logo, which was a 99designs logo originally. So again, kind of the bootstrapped spirit there. I can honestly say that, number one, we've always viewed ourselves as a part of a greater thing. There are times where you're super proud of your startup and you think the whole world should know about it, of course. But we also felt like we only would do as well as the tech community did in Utah. We were never going to exist above and beyond the other tech companies, the other startups. We all needed to grow together for us to even be successful. If there were not tech jobs and successful startups, there weren't going to be open jobs for software engineers. And so we couldn't exist without those things. We also recognize that when people are deciding to come to Dev Mountain, they're really making a choice of jumping into a career path and into an industry that is exciting, that's going to bring economic return. And again, we can't provide that for them. Right. All we can do is give them the tools they need to succeed in that world. And so what you were doing at Beehive was actually very relevant to us because as things improved, as the economy continued to improve, as tech companies were ballooning and becoming these great companies. And as you were making people aware of that, that benefited us because people were saying, oh, maybe coding is something I want to get into. Maybe I do want to work for a tech company instead of be a lawyer or be a dentist or whatever, right? So that was a really important part of the branding because we just recognized that being a part of a community and helping build the community was going to help everybody, including ourselves. I think the second thing is just, and I don't consider myself to have a bunch of natural talents, but one thing I do think I'm decently good at is recognizing talented people. And that's a huge part of what's made DevMountain successful is we just have hired passionate, talented people. I mean, Tyler Richards, I don't even think he was doing design or branding at his startup at the time. And so when he joined us, he just sort of assumed that role and really grew into it and helped us hiring other employees with him and under him that just helped to add a design flair or a community aspect that just really helped us grow into our own. That's not my strength for sure. So I can't take much credit for that. As I think back now, like I think we did more joint events with Dev Mountain, <laughs> probably, yeah, than anyone else in like the first two years. And I also think it's it's this is fascinating. I think you guys were one of our first sponsors. I think we were, yeah, yeah. Like, and we didn't even know what that meant. I, I think I remember <laughs> yeah. like sitting down with you. I'm like, I don't know what sponsorship. That's means. right. We had a few <laughs> conversations about okay, so what what does that mean if we're a sponsor? <laughs> It's like, you can get your logo places. Yeah. It's going to be cool. We'll, we'll make sure people know about the .in. That's right. Don't worry about that. This is a fascinating trip down memory lane. So it goes really well. 
I want to touch on this Dallas thing because okay. you did go to Dallas. Yeah, I moved to Dallas for a year plus. Yeah. What was that decision? I, I always thought that was an interesting decision because it started just in Provo. You had student housing and things in Provo. It was going really well in Provo. Startup building has this amazing vibe just as like a building and then adding all of this that we just talked about, this branding of Dead Mountain and stuff. I felt like there was it was a really great place, a great place to hold events, kind of like a community hub for Utah's startup community, actually, at least in those early days in yeah. my experience. And so that's going really well. You decide to do Salt Lake, which to me felt natural, right? Yeah. Uh, because, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty different uh, ecosystems, even though they're in the same state and even though they're only an hour away from each other. Uh, Dallas, I never fully understood that. And I know we, we talked about it at the time when you, when you were about to do it, but what was that experience like? One, what was the decision? How did you come to that decision? And two, what was that whole experience like? I think part of it was we wanted to know, and Salt Lake is is a good point because when we had talked about doing Salt Lake, even though Salt Lake is so close, it really was like starting in another state right. because it's just far enough away that you've got to hire new people. You can't just have the same employees run back and forth. You've got to have new space. So we kind of had gone through all the growing pains of expanding without the geographical distance to really make it a pain. But at the same time, it was many of the same pains that you'd experienced. So we felt like we knew how to expand. And I think it was just a question of where and when. Yeah, It was clear to us. It seemed clear to us at the time. And especially in hindsight, it was definitely the right choice that going to what we'd call like a tier one market, like a San Francisco or New York City, probably wasn't going to match with our value proposition and our brand. We were kind of a high value, low cost provider. We provided housing that became a part of who we were. And we didn't see how we were going to pull that off in a San Francisco or a New York or a Chicago. And so we started looking sort of in these tier two cities, places like a Salt Lake City or like a Provo that had similar characteristics, but maybe were up and coming, right? And we did some really basic analyses on like, okay, so right. what cities in the U.S. fit that demographic? And we sort of took some preliminary looks at a few different markets, even some here in the Intermountain West region. We didn't want to go too small because we knew that there needs to be a critical mass of not only people, but tech jobs, right? That yeah. end piece has to be really important. It just so happened that in looking at the cities, Dallas was probably in the top five. And my brother-in-law happened to live there at the time. We went down and visited and I spent a couple of weeks with my wife and kids there. And it was like, I think we could do this. It was just sort of me being there, seeing the locale and looking at the demographics, looking at the statistics and saying, why not? Why don't we just give it a shot? We'll look at it for my wife and kids, sort of like an extended study abroad. And for me, kind of a sabbatical from Provo, but still very much in the business. And so we decided to give it a shot. And it wasn't without its many successes and failures. And it took us a while to get Dallas really, really going to the point where it is now. But it was our first true expansion where we could kind of test our ability to scale this. And just because there were so many unknowns and so many variables, I felt like I needed to be there to make sure that not only to make sure it went off successfully and that students had a good experience, but also so I could take those lessons back to Utah and say, yeah, this is exactly what we need to worry about. And here are the things that we should consider in the future. So at that point, you have Dallas up and running, you have Salt Lake, you have Provo. At what point, I mean, you you mentioned like, hey, we got to this point where we would start thinking about maybe taking on some money or partnering with someone. So you get acquired. How did that process play out? So it was fall of 2015. So interesting timeline, right? Parallel with you. Fall of 2015, we sort of had a few different things that all converged at the same time. One was we were having some financial growing pains because 
it became this really complex thing to try to predict how much cash we were going to have six months from now because we have these inflows of cash on start dates of tuition, which are all staggered in different times and different weeks and different locations. We have financing as a variable in there too, where we get a certain amount of financing up front, but then some of that's recognized over time and some of it we won't even see for three years because they're paying back loans. And so it became really, really difficult to make decisions as to when do we hire somebody? When do we expand? Because we don't know six months from now what our cash flow is going to be. And so there were some really interesting white knuckle moments where we're like, oh, shoot, are we going to be able to make payroll in two months? Because we're not sure where our cash is at. And that was just the complexity of the whole thing. The second thing was what we had just talked about where we were sort of having this conversation of like, okay, so what do we want Dev Mountain to be? If we want it to be something bigger than it is, then we're probably going to need to take on some money or partner with somebody. And then the third thing was we were getting a decent amount of inbound interest. So I would probably get, I would say at least one or two calls a month from investment bankers, private equity groups, or just other people that could be potential acquirers. And was luckily wise enough and had wise enough advisors that kind of talked me through this to not really treat any of them seriously because a lot of them were just fishing expeditions right. for information. They're competitors that are just trying to find out more information, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But this one acquire just happened to come during those other two kind of things that were happening where we were sort of trying to figure out financially over the next few months, okay, which kind of reemphasized this need, okay, so we either need to raise money to have the capital we need to grow or we need to partner. And from the very first couple of conversations with our acquire, Capella, it was clear not only were they interested, actually interested in, in having us as a partner, but there seemed to be a lot of alignment in terms of what we valued and what we wanted to build together. And so it was like, okay, really the decision wasn't so much let's get acquired. It was more like let's talk. Let's, yeah. let's, let's entertain the conversation and just see where it leads us. So that started in probably late November was the very first conversations we had. And then by the next spring, we were talking pretty seriously about being acquired. Yeah. And so so the acquisition goes through, and how long do you stay? Uh, so the acquisition went through, and just as a side note, was probably one of the most stressful times in my entire life. Especially really? people talk about, oh, you did bootstrap with Dead Mountain. Why doesn't everybody do that? And I'm like, well, there's advantages to raising capital. <laughs> one of which is you have sort of this war chest of funds that you can rely on in case things are crazy. And there's nothing more crazy than your company getting acquired because you're going through this process of they're looking at every single document you've ever signed ever, right. which if you do like a quick mental inventory, you're like, oh, what have I ever signed? And like, right. that was the, you know, we're going through all these contracts we had made, these agreements we had made with software vendors or whatever. Anyway, that process is super intense, very vulnerable. And the whole time you're wondering, okay, so what is the real cost of this if this doesn't go through? And as a bootstrap company, the cost is very, very high. You know, yeah. you're stuck with a lawyer bill, you're stuck with sunk costs of time and energy. And frankly, everybody's super burned out because you've been spending all night on the phone with lawyers and all day pretending like you're still running the business. Right. And so when that was all over, emotionally, I was in a really bad state, actually. Right. I, I told this story before, but my wife and I went out to dinner the night that everything closed and I almost had a panic attack at the table in the restaurant because I, I think my body was just so wound up so tightly and didn't know how to process everything. And then it was finally starting to kind of deal with reality, you know? So that goes through. And I think for a while there, I was just trying to survive. I was just trying to show up to work and still be the cheerleader for everybody. But again, I was pretty burned out. But I think in terms of acquisition stories, I've heard so many horror stories that I feel like we had the most amazing setup. We had a really strong, supportive parent company who wanted to see us succeed, didn't dictate how we did it. And basically the questions they most consistently asked us were, 
what do you want to accomplish and how can we help? Yeah. Which is amazing. And so I feel like I got this incredible opportunity to have very little risk, continue growing the company that I loved and learn how to like take a company from that level to the next level. So I got this great education and didn't really have to risk a ton for it. But I think it came to a point, I was there for about a year and a half after the acquisition. I just barely stepped down in October of last year. So yeah, right about 18 months. And it kind of came to a point for me where I realized, okay, I think the company is actually better off with other people. I definitely felt like I had contributed the heart and soul and a lot of different things to the company. But in terms of what was needed to take the company to the next level, I didn't feel like that skill set was mine. And I was very clear with our parent company from day one. I was like, are you sure I'm the guy that should be doing this? And I still tell the company to this day, I'm still involved. And I, and I say, I, I cannot envision the day where I don't have anything to do with that mountain because right. it'll always be a part of me. There'll always be a part of me that wants to help or at least give advice, even if nobody wants to follow it. But yeah, I think for me, it was like, okay, I, obviously the company has outgrown me. I need to figure out who I am now, now that right. this has grown past this point and just work on other things. So, so you sold it for what, 20? Yeah, 15 million. There was a 5 million earnout, but the total, yeah, 20 million yeah. For, the, for the full thing. And, and so, so you recently left. Like, what are you working on now? Now I'm sort of back to schizophrenic startup founder slash, how do I say this? I don't feel like I need to be the guy. Maybe that's since Dev Mountain. Maybe that was before. I don't know. I just don't really feel like I have to be the founder. I don't have to be that right. guy. So I just really love working on interesting things. So one of the projects I'm working on is a K-12 through thing that's happening. It's a really cool company out of Arizona. I'm sort of part investor, part advisor, part helper, employee, whatever. Yeah. Same thing with blockchain. I'm really fascinated with what's happening in the blockchain space. I, I want to have kind of a front row seat to what that means for the future of tech and the future of how we consume technology. And so I'm working on some blockchain projects, but I've very often sat down and asked myself the question, like, who am I now? Because <laughs> I'm not a coder. I clearly haven't coded anything substantial in you know a long time. I don't feel like I'm a, a great founder because my time is so different now than it was when I started Dev Mountain or anything else. So I consistently ask myself, where do I add value and how can I use that value to help other people or help the companies that I'm involved with? That's great, man. So has Dead Mountain expanded into any other cities yet? Yeah, so Phoenix. We're in Phoenix oh, right yeah, now. Right. Yeah, okay. and that was the cool thing about Phoenix was we kind of got to use all the lessons we had learned from Salt Lake and from Dallas, and Phoenix has gone really, really well. We've been really pleased with how Phoenix has gone. And similar to what we did with Dallas, we sent down one of our best employees down there to help start that location. And Her name is Chrissy. She's super talented, and she did a great job. And so our story has always been, and I think we'll continue to be just slow, measured growth, not outpace ourselves, not get ahead of ourselves, continue to focus on just the students and what they need to be successful. You must have a lot of pride, right? Like I would imagine like being in your shoes, being able to now kind of step, step aside so you're not in like the day-to-day of it, but it still exists. And it was just you in the beginning, like me and you in that conference room talking about it. Yeah. You wanted to be a dentist, but now you're doing this, Right. There has to be some pride in that journey. It's a little bit weird, I've got to say. <laughs> there was this one point where I was in Dallas and I met a student who had tattooed the Dev Mountain logo in his arm, on his oh, arm. Wow. I was half <laughs> excited and half horrified, right? <laughs> Part of me was like, this is amazing that you helped build this thing that somebody wants to tattoo on their arm. And part of me was like, oh, this guy has made a terrible mistake. <laughs> what right. is he thinking? Right. And I think my personality is always one that I always 
felt good that we were doing good and we were helping people. But I was always the one that really struggled when the one person out of 30 or 60 people had a bad experience. And right. those were the people that kept me up at night. Those are the people that I just anguished over and, and would say, what, what should we have done differently? How do we mess this up? Or what did they do wrong? So I think that kept me in a good state of mind the whole time where yeah. I wasn't like, oh, we've built this great thing and it's perfect and we haven't done anything wrong. I was always very cognizant of the things that we could do better at. And education is one of those things, right? You're never going to be perfect at education. And so it helps keep you a little bit humble. The other thing is we just hired so many talented people and so many good things happened to us that in a lot of ways, I just felt, I think, even more fortunate after than ever before. I almost felt more so than ever that it wasn't me. I felt like, yeah, sure, I maybe had the idea and maybe I bought the domain and maybe I helped teach the first class. But ultimately, it was a lot of factors that played into the success of Dev Mountain. And I was just happy to be a part of it. I kind of right. look at it and say, yeah, that was amazing. But I'm just glad that I was on it for the first four or five years of yeah. its existence. Well, congratulations, man. Thank you. It's great to catch up, too. Yeah. This 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 whole thing has brought me back to the craziest things we were doing in, like, uh, 2013. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Seems like forever ago. It really does. It really does <laughs> seem like a long time ago, and it actually wasn't. Uh, thanks for coming. I, I, am, I bet you start something. Okay. I feel like that's in you. It doesn't feel like it yet, you know what I mean, because you're still kind of recovering, but. I would be shocked if you don't start something else. So when you do, okay. come on back. I will. Thanks, Absolutely. Man. Thanks, Clint. I want to thank Dev Mountain founder Kalen Sharp for coming on today's show. Do not forget to get your tickets to Silicon Slopes Tech Summit 2019. It's going to be an incredible event, and tickets are set at a super early bird price. That makes it a no-brainer. Go to SiliconSlopesSummit.com for more details. Today's show was recorded inside the Silicon Slopes studio and produced by our good friend, Dave Meekum. Signing off for now, my name is Clint Betts, and this has been another episode of the Silicon Slopes Podcast. Best job ever. You won't be the first person at Solution Reach to say that, not even the second. Go check them out at www.solutionreach.com forward slash careers. They're always looking to add new talent to the team, and it's a team that's truly making a difference in healthcare, better connecting patients to their providers. Not to mention the awesome new building they've got, free CrossFit and yoga classes, the whole nine yards. Visit www.solutionreach.com forward slash careers, check out the open positions listed, and hopefully you'll join the growing list who are saying, best job ever.